Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, right. Hang on. I'm not plugged in. Am I? Oh, I am plugged in now. Yeah. Happy New Year. Plug in, everybody. Welcome to 2024. Mm. We've just received an automated message well, on our have. phones. And I, it's no laughing matter, no. actually, is it? Saying that we can't leave the building because of the high winds. So we're spending the night together in this studio. <laughs> can't wait. So no, we just have to go out of a different side entrance. That's oh, so all. I hadn't realised that. So yeah. we are... I haven't really read the message in its entirety. I've got a text as well. Yeah. Right. So we're allowed to leave, mm. uh, but we have to go out of a different entrance because the way happen? that the building's built, there's just quite a wind tunnel between the high rises oh, we, at the where front. Hang on, just one second. Yeah. We're on the 14th floor yeah. of a building and we can't, due to the high winds, we can't leave the main door. But yes. we're all right to be here on the 14th floor yeah. having a chin wag. But imagine if you were right at the top of the shard tonight. I think that would be a little bit too breezy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I hope you're all warm and tucked up where you are listening Uh, to this. It's very nice to be back. I hope you had an okay Christmas and New Year. How was yours? Well, it was okay. And um, I I honestly think that you... um, We've always been... The whole business of of off-air... Uh, I know you said offside. That's our new sports podcast that's coming a little bit later in the year when Fee and I muscle up and just cover ourselves in deep heat and we'll talk extensively about sport. Someone Uh, texted in today to say that we'd been uh, a bit mean about Wayne Rooney because he's been exited from his 13-week stint in charge of Birmingham City. It was only because it was just after an interview I'd done with Jake Humphrey in which I was incredibly empathetic about sports people and the challenges. And you're just about to to hear that but yeah. I think I've piled in on Wayne but the thing sorry we will come back to your Christmas yeah well the thing that I just thought Wayne Rooney got wrong was in his uh, statement mm. after he'd been fired mm. it was just all about him how he was going to have to deal with this setback in his career and it's kind of like well, no maybe that's why you didn't get the dressing room behind you because it was all about Wayne Yes, yeah. maybe it just needed to be more about the players, more about the fans. Well, I don't, this is all for our sports. Podcast. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. You, anyway, which has yet to be commissioned, <laughs> but you know, I think I think there'll be a market for it. Go on, your Christmas, my Christmas. I will uh, genuinely. Uh, it was all right. It was all right. I mean, I, I, we, what we don't do, uh, either of us, is sugarcoat our personal lives and make them sound fabulous. Because, like everybody else's personal lives and family lives, 
you know, things are up and down. And uh, voices were raised in our house <laughs> or in my mum and dad's flat, to be precise, on Christmas Day. A little bit of an issue. My brother-in-law uh, had done the cooking, I have to say, very well. And it's no mean feat because he'd driven it up the motorway uh, from their home in the Midlands to Liverpool so we could all enjoy it, which is, you know, good because it means we can be with mum and dad and we're, you know, very fortunate to have well, them. Well, you've changed tune because you weren't being very welcoming <laughs> towards his turkey casserole before Christmas. It wasn't a casserole in the end. There was it, casserole came into the frame and it was dismissed. Oh, we had, we had a crown. So you had a crown. We had a crown. A crown but and the trimmings. It, well, don't use the word trimmings. That's a triggering word for me, <laughs> because I can't stand the fact that it's only ever applied to that one meal. I mean, by all means, if you're going to say trimmings, you use it with every meal. You don't just say only that one meal every year gets the term trimmings attached to it. Do other countries have trimmings? Well, I was just thinking actually maybe. Uh, a nice hoisin duck pancake with the trimmings is is a thing in where <laughs> town Shenzhen. Oh, I see. Um, okay, that's our travel podcast, which is coming later in the year. What will that be called? Jane's not coming. Off on your holes. <laughs> God, he goes it alone. That's what it's called. He can't get you to leave the blooming country. Love. That's true. You're not going to tip up in Shenzhen trying some ice and duck. No, you're dead right there. And what was what was quite funny about it was that um, when you take so obviously my mum used to be very much um, and she did some amazing Christmas lunches over the years. Made a lot of effort, often including all sorts of different people. So um, it was a big effort for her. But this year, of course, it was take the responsibility was taken away, and that can be it's quite. Um, an annoying thing, I think, isn't it? If you're if you've been the person who was responsible to have somebody else come into your kitchen and do oh, it, yes. it's it can be a little tricky. So there was lots of talk beforehand about whether or not the oven, you know, whether everybody would understand how the oven worked, how warm it was, because ovens differ. Every oven is different. Fee. Some are big, some are small, some are hot, and some are quite slow to heat. This is um, another idea for a podcast if any, an oven manufacturer would like to go for. Do you think we'll ever get to number one again? No, I don't think we will. Not with this kind of content. Anyway, listen, 10 million downloads. Don't sniff at it. Okay. Nobody is. Nobody's sniffing at that. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. Don't no, I? no, it was all just about the slight passive aggression of someone else coming into your your kitchen and doing the yeah. cooking there. So a certain amount of trepidation about how long it would all take. But anyway, we had a very nice meal served at Hoppers 2. What time did you eat? We ate at about three oh. and it was beef with oh. all the trimmings. Trimmings. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, this Christmas, and I think that people will sympathise who uh, either come from, uh, should we call them blended families? Yes. Uh, or have created blended families. And I come from one and I've created yes. one. Yes. Uh, You're totally blended, aren't you? So we're so, so blended. Mm. Yeah, we're we're really, really finely pureed. But what it what it can mean at Christmas is that you just have to do Christmas about seven times. Yeah, so how many turkey drummers? And actually, by the time you get to Christmas Day... What do you want to be? <laughs> just, like, just please, 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 please. We just have a delivery. Um, but it, I think it's more about the investment that you I have think, to make every say, time. That's because an incentive you, to stay married if you possibly can. Just think of the your number of Christmas the number of Christmas yeah, dinners that your children might have to eat in the future. Yeah, oh, well, no, I think it's, stick it out if you I can. I think it's really complicated, and because every time you sit down at that type of meal, mm. in whichever formation it is, uh, everybody is expected to you know give of good cheer. That's yeah. the whole point in you yeah. doing and it's it. And I think it is quite a lot. And mm. this was the first Christmas. 
uh, that I really noticed uh, a sight and kind of um, oh, I don't know. I think I do, I think I just flagged a bit actually yeah. towards the end of it, Jane. If I can be brutally honest, so I was very grateful because you really love that Twixmas period, mm. don't you? And I've always really hated it, so I tend to just go you know static and low yeah. for those four days. It's <laughs> like not really move, not really doing anything. Uh, puzzling pass. days like the twenty eighth yes, and the twenty ninth. It'll pass. It's yeah. over yet. But um, by the time I got to those this year, I was very grateful. No, I see. Them. I think they were an underrated pleasure. Yeah. No, I yeah. did. I enjoyed them mm. more but anyway we'd love all of your tales uh, of woe or of joy or of getting through it or of different ways of doing it uh, you can dump anything you like on mm. us it's jane and fee at times.radio I, um we well, I, I stayed with my kids in a hotel in liverpool so that we could get to my mum and dad's on uh, christmas morning and it was you know, it, i was i really i've never thought about this before and i should have done but people who work in hotels over christmas they they i think they i talked to one of the young waitresses on boxing day morning and she said they got double time for christmas day but that's it. There's no nothing special for working Boxing Day, or any of those other days. And I thought they just did a really good, a really good job. They were cheerful. They didn't kind of nobody banged on about Christmas because I suspect some people in that hotel um, had come for a multitude of reasons, including perhaps wanting to escape, yeah, get away from the Christmas. whole thing for who knows what personal reason or something had happened or whatever it might be. Um, I, I'd love to actually. I want someone to set a slightly poignant film or drama in a British hotel over Christmas because I think you get some good stories. Yes, I think there would be tears in that. Well, there? not so much. I don't know. Just There was a certain sort of poignancy when we got back to the hotel on Christmas night. Quite a few in our corridor. There were quite a few trays of, of food that had just been left out for somebody to pick up. And so that suggested that someone, you know, had had room service yes. on Christmas. And people do because lives can be very shit or just a bit challenged. But also, Jane, we or are just, a multicultural yeah, society. Absolutely. Not it's everybody's not, no, celebrating not everyone it. Cares. No, everyone's got a ding-dong bauble out on No, on But anyway, um, yes, um, really, uh, I really appreciated the effort the staff went to, but without going to OTT. Yeah, but it's nice. I did find uh, the Christmas TV incredibly disappointing and in my conversations with I mean there are quite a few octogenarians now and yeah. septogenarians in the family uh, and actually uh, conversations about TV dominated those Christmas chats uh, after we got to the final mm. furlong because it was just shite didn't you think? Yes, and I think it's worth saying that these are often people who are dependent on terrestrial television. Totally. And I'm not pa- patronising people there. And but... usually really look forward to the Christmas yeah. schedules. You know, got the Radio Times out and highlighted it, but mm. uh, I thought it was rubbish. I ended up going down a, a property, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, rabbit hole, where I found myself actually, I think by about the 28th of December, really enjoying Cheryl Baker's Escape to the Country. Okay. <laughs> So that was that was the BBC's contribution was just to celebritize mm. every single series that the BBC has. So you had uh, celebrity MasterChef, then you had um celebrity critics MasterChef. Yeah. Uh you had celebrity university challenge mm. or you know just Can absolutely I just say, everything I... was just celebritized and some of those are not with a capital C. Well, Jane. no, because I watched one celebrity, uh, celebrity university challenge, yeah. and as you know, I know almost everybody in show business. Um, I didn't, and I'm not just being awful here. I, I didn't, didn't recognise any of them. No, celebrity. I know. Yep. And so for Escape to the Country to think... Well, okay, Cheryl is. I know who Cheryl no, is. Cheryl Baker, and it was fantastic. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode, mm. but I did think, geez, geez, if you're mm. celebritising that, 
we may have come to the end of the road, as Cheryl did, actually. She found a very nice house <laughs> at the end of the road with what was described as, as, as a showbiz electrical gate. Uh, sorry? She had a showbiz electrical gate. <laughs> so there was one of those gates, you know, that was automated, mm. that opened, and the host said, well, it's the house for you. It's a showbiz electric gate. So naturally, did she buy it? I think she is going to buy it. Oh, yeah. I see. So this is a totally authentic. She was looking for a property. Yeah. The other celebrity who'd been celebritised for the series was Christopher Biggins. God, I wonder he d- Well, he didn't go for uh, the turreted small mansion mm. somewhere in the home counties. He thought the stairs would be a bit too much. Oh, how old is Biggins these days? Four hundred. He's being a little bit careful. Yeah, I mean it's no joke. Stairs. I also do actually think you mentioned older people. I think it's just worth saying because we will be old one day if we're lucky. Um, I think Christmas is quite a strain for them because I think um, it's a break in their routine, and a lot of older folk do love a structure and a, and a schedule which they stick to seven days a week. Uh, I think to have that disrupted, to have people in your flat or house, um, to eat at slightly different times, to have the noise and to have the young people and every single conversation revolves around put your phone down put your phone all of that must be really discombobulating once you're over the age of 80 or 85 I I do think that for a lot of older people the relief when everyone's gone is probably quite considerable and then you can start to enjoy the memories and you can tell your friends and neighbours that yes the whole family came and they left thank god yeah, so maybe we just need to confine it. You know, you just do a couple of hours of Christmas I just to make an ideal it world, yeah. a, a little bit less of a mm. just endless but series of celebrations. Lots of us in Britain just don't live that close to our parents. I mean, mm. you know, we probably grew up, well, our parents would have grown up quite close to our parents, but that's not been our experience. So it's it's more difficult, it's more challenging, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, um, I've, I had a lovely time, broad, broadly speaking. And we should well, be very that's brief. all that matters. And you would say the same for yourself. <laughs> Um, I was really hoping uh, for some blue sky, some literal blue sky today Mm. uh, to bounce back into work with a spring in my step for 2024 and a whole new year here at Times Towers. It was the bleakest, drizzliest. Uh, It was just a a total kind of rinsed out morning, wasn't it? And even Nancy got halfway down the road. She just turned round. We just went home. She couldn't even bother to have a pooing a pee. No, really? No, couldn't be asked. No. Oh, okay. Well, wish you well there. Would she take her chances elsewhere then? In the conservatory. Yeah. A few people have done that over the years. Uh, Naomi um, has emailed on the. I think this is an important subject actually, and you mentioned the dark. Uh, I totally agree with you both about school coach. She says, as a head oh, teacher. Yes. Well, join my campaign. Well, yeah. As a head teacher, Naomi says, I always emphasise I don't mind what colour coat children to wear to school, but it's just got to be bright. I want my children to be visible and safe. Coats cost a lot of money for the length of time they fit, so I like my family to get the wear out of theirs rather than having to buy an additional school coat. I also think if they're distinctive, they are easier to find in a busy cloakroom and individuals are easier to spot on the playground. I am behind your school coat campaign 100%. Mm. Well, Naomi, I am really serious about that because actually, you know, once retirement beckons, which could be, you know, sooner rather than later, Mm. who knows, God willing, uh, I'd like to do something really useful. and, And I think that, I, I can't imagine that very many people would disagree with you, Naomi. So I, no. I just don't get it with the you know, uniform, with the coats, uniform no. 
militia. Too too expensive and impractical. Really and, and impractical not and really, really unsafe. And also it's just not in keeping with how kids want to dress these days. Mm. And I think we're asking a lot of our kids at the moment, aren't we? Uh, you know, as the well, bar I ask. just, I don't get a lot. Don't get a lot. <laughs> so, but the bar gets higher yeah, and no, higher and higher for them, and it's kind of like at least, uh, you know, stop dressing them up in a kind of nineteen fifties fetish of what a school uniform should be, mm. and stop making them unsafe in the darkness when they're trying to get home. So, Naomi, I'm in all seriousness going to keep hold of your email, and uh, we shall go forth and do this together. Um, Anonymous says, um, this is a bit behind with your chat, but I've been in Copenhagen and neglected to listen whilst away. Oh, that's, that's just not good enough, is Absolutely it? Absolutely shocking. It's no and, excuse. Just you going to Denmark. Uh, well, Denmark, of course, has been very much in our minds uh, because of the shock abdication of the Queen. And Fee was talking about it on the radio show today. It was, you were funny, Fee, I have to be honest, because it was about the Daily Mail's unique marital strife spin on the abdication of the elderly Queen of Denmark, which I got quite lost, but the headline was absolutely astonishing. It was just... So this is an 83-year-old woman who's Mm. just had really serious back surgery, uh, who's decided that being, you know, the roving queen is a bit too much for her, so she's abdicated in favour of her 55-year-old son. Perfectly normal thing to do. She simply couldn't. We'd keep all going do it, wouldn't we? Longer. We would. Yeah. And the Daily Mail's spin was that party prince, smoke and mirrors, queen abdicates, but it's really to draw attention away from the fact that he went to a restaurant with a Mexican woman. Yeah, but who had the surname Casanova? <laughs> so I think you don't have to be a private detective to be pretty concerned about the state of that one royal marriage. Oh, to imagine a single woman going out to lunch with a married man. <clears throat> anyway, um, our anonymous correspondent who's been to Copenhagen and just couldn't be asked listening to us while she was there, uh, read Jane's comments about wishing she had a career involving being called Marm a lot. It isn't too late. Sorry, just do that again. Wishing to be called Marm a lot, not Marm a lot. <laughs> Well, actually, I wouldn't mind if they called me Marmalade. It isn't too late. All you need to do is to become a magistrate. So actually, I have thought of this. I very much enjoy it. I am one. Uh, despite the cases which occasionally fill me with despair, I also, I am slightly ashamed to admit, enjoy all the marming it entails. Sometimes there's also a bit of maddening, which is okay, but not as good. I, too, regret a career choice that didn't lead to any marming. In my fantasy life, I instead chose the army, in which I was at the very least a lieutenant colonel, or the police, where I was at least a commander, if not a commissioner of some sort. I do enjoy your show and your podcast, says Anonymous JP. But I've got your name here. I've made a note of it. Uh, and thank you for that. Yes, I, I do. I quite enjoy hearing from kindred spirits who, like me, have these fantasy lives where you've got some sort of senior title. <laughs> I find it extraordinary. No, it's a bit weird. It is a bit weird. It is a bit weird, but that's the whole point of the podcast. We deposit our yes. weirdness. But I think, actually, I am just going to refer to you from now on as Lady Jane Marmalot. <laughs> I think it suits you. (laughs) Right. Do you have one or shall I move on? I just want to get back into our reminiscing, what would that word be? Our reminiscences uh, about Sting. Oh, yeah. 
Dear Jane and Fee, uh, I've been an avid listener of you since the pandemic days. I've always wanted to join in on some of the email conversations, but usually have been a bit distracted by work and family stuff. <laughs> Put those things first. <laughs> However, the stories emailed in about Sting reminded me of a time when I was 22 and working as a waitress in London. I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. That's from? Uh, well, Human League. Yes. And Don't desperately trying to work as an actor, my boyfriend was doing rather well. He had graduated from RADA and was doing play as cast as a first job at the RSC. I don't understand that, but I think that's very impressive. Frances Tomalty was in the company and one of the actors was asked to house-sit her and Sting's home. <laughs> we were subsequently invited to a little Sunday lunch gathering there. Obviously no Sting, but I was terribly excited to see his house. Very cool, with a minstrel's gallery in the large living room. I had to nip to the loo and my friend said, oh, just go to the bathroom upstairs. I found myself in a large ensuite bathroom. And the thing that made the most massive impression on me was not one, but three king-size bottles. That's <laughs> my stomach. <laughs> It's the high winds. Hang on, let's listen to that again. (laughs) Is it gone? Stopped. I haven't eaten very much today. I think that's what it is. I'm on a New Year, New You kind of (laughs) time. Is that the New Year, New You where you have a little chocolate? (laughs) Take a bite and spit it out. (laughs) About three king-size bottles of peppermint foot lotion from the body shop. It seemed to me the height of luxury. I guess we just bought the little tiny bottles and could only dream of buying the large ones. I so enjoy listening to you both and having a good giggle when I'm driving from work. It's like having my mates chatting to me, so thank you. Uh, Leslie, it's absolutely our pleasure, and I just love that detail because you're absolutely right. If you went to somebody's house and they had a big bottle yeah. from the body shop, a big bottle, mm. it was just out of your league, wasn't it? Yeah. If you're the same kind of age as us, then there's no way... I can still smell that. ...on pocket money or, you know, a mini allowance mm. or a first job or whatever. There it goes again. <laughs> that you could ever, ever get a big bottle from the body shop. <laughs> so blissful detail, Leslie. And uh, obviously keep us... Well, maybe get back in touch and let us know whether that boyfriend went on to be terribly, terribly famous mm. after leaving did she, Marder. Did she mention the, minstrel, the minstrel's gallery? Yes. Yeah. 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 See, I, when I see Mitchell's gallery written down, I just think of the sweets. <laughs> and I think it's like a gallery full. Because I had some Mitchell's the other night when I went to the theatre. And they really are a lovely suite for the theatre. Aren't they? Yeah, because they're, they're quite, they're quite they're, nice and crunchy. They've got that hard shell and then you can suck on them during the more tedious bits. Um, but there weren't any tedious bits because it's a play we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the week. Moving on very swiftly. Uh, let's bring in, we're going to go to Jake Humphrey, who's our guest, in a moment. But I just wanted to say uh, hello to Melanie. Uh, grateful for our company, she says. Um, after, oh, she's had a really horrible fall on the 10th of December, which resulted in three fractures and a dislocated ankle. After three failed attempts at two hospitals to manipulate my ankle back into alignment with a cocktail of pain meds and sedatives, I had surgery the following day to secure it with plates and screws. This is going to bring my wind back. Uh, if I don't think it has. But before the surgery, I was required to provide a urine sample to confirm I wasn't pregnant. Not unless it's the baby Jesus, she says wearily. Uh, but it came back positive twice. What? I know, it's weird, isn't it, that one? Uh, you'll have to explain more there, Melanie. But I like this bit. My husband always excels himself in a crisis. 
When I responded in the ambulance with five as my pain score, and it's out of ten, isn't it, yeah. when they ask you if you have pain, with five as my pain score, to the bemusement of the paramedics, my husband responded with, she's from Hull. <laughs> right. Uh, then in A&E, oh, I can't believe he did this, he passed me somebody else's sick bowl rather than thinking to go and get a new one from reception. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, he's a keeper, isn't he? <laughs> No, 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 that's horrible. <laughs> well, waste not, want not. Uh, Melanie, uh, hope you're feeling better. That does sound really horrible. Um, uh, what a calamitous episode that was. Anyway, you've got a smashing hobby. You hang on to him. Mm. Right, do you want to move on to high performance with Jake Humphrey? Yes, Jake Humphrey is the host of the very successful podcast High Performance. I was thinking about this earlier. If you and I were to start a podcast and call it High Performance, well, first of all, we just wouldn't, would we? Because people would just take the piss. And it's somehow just one of those things that's acceptable for two... And they're very accomplished men to have a podcast called High Performance because it's... It's what men are all about. Anyway, uh, Jake Humphrey is a nice, thoroughly nice guy. He's ex-BBC. Is that my stomach again? No, that was you. See, I wonder whether it was you all along. That's me. Jake Humphrey, ex-BBC and BT Sport football host uh, and co-host of the High Performance Podcast, as previously discussed. He was once sacked by McDonald's uh, for his poor communication skills. He also failed his A-levels, which I think was quite difficult in his family because his mum was in the teaching profession. In fact, she, I think she taught at his schools. So it was all hugely embarrassing, but he has more than proved himself. He is now the co-author of a new book, too, called How to Change Your Life. That's with the psychologist Damien Hughes. Now, on the whole, Jake's message is all about positivity. Uh, and let's face it, we need it at this time of year. But uh, he acknowledges himself he hasn't always had it that easy. Yeah, absolutely. Look, nice to chat. And I think that um, I think I am all about being positive and finding the the good stuff. And that actually is against the backdrop of hard times. And I've spoken loads about some of the challenges in my upbringing. But without going into too much detail, I would have 2023 down as one of my worst ever years, actually. All kinds of professional challenges, all kinds of personal challenges, all kinds of hard moments. And actually, it got to the point where I said to Harriet, my wonderful wife at the end of the year I said you know what? we need to stop saying to people oh it's been a hard year because we found ourselves like so many others saying that and actually we sort of had a chat like what is that doing for us saying to people oh it's been a hard year but we're hoping 2024 will be better and I kind of needed to remind myself of all the conversations I've had on high performance all the things that I've learned and this mantra really that you can be negative or positive and I'm not trying to tell people how to be but for my own sanity and my own well-being, being positive does so much more for me than being negative. You know, like the truth is you can rewire the brain. It's a muscle. And what you spend most of your time working on with that muscle really does have a, a big impact on the way that you live, the way that you think and therefore the things that happen to you. Just tell us a bit then about why 2023 was so tough for you. So um, we had a few both me and my wife had some sort of physical health things going on. And actually maybe we shouldn't be too surprised. We're both in our forties. Now we're sadly at that point where we maybe need to take a bit more care of ourselves. And these kind of moments, especially with two little kids, they do make you sit up and think, wow, okay, right. You know, um, even though we don't live badly, we need to be extra careful perhaps now. So there was that. And then we sadly lost two family members that were close to both of us um, who passed away. That was really challenging 
quite a few members of my family and my friends have all had their own individual problems and issues that they're trying to deal with, whether it's linked to the economy, whether it's linked to the cost of living, whether it's just some mental health challenges, some relationship challenges that got going on. And then after 10 years, um, I left working for BT Sport. And, you know, as much as I was involved in that decision, um, you don't stop doing something you've done for 10 years and just walk away and everything's fine. There are like serious moments of doubt there. You know, I'll be totally candid with you. And there are moments where I wake up or I woke up in the night thinking I've got two kids to feed and a mortgage to pay. And I'm now not doing the thing that did all of that. I better get my act together quickly. Yeah, I, mean, um, I must admit, Jake, when I heard about you doing that, I I was surprised. It didn't, it, yeah. did, it felt a bit of an odd one. But tell me. But it was just, I've the longer I've done high performance, the more difficult I found being a football presenter. The more annoyed I've got with these tiny, obsessive, nuanced conversations about individuals making mistakes. And mm. I saw one only a couple of days ago, a referee making a mistake on the football field and all of the media were crying for consistency. And I'm like, well, human beings are not consistent. Like... I've spoken to enough footballers. I've spoken to referees. I've spoken to football managers. I've spoken to football accountants and executives about the mental health challenges of being in the public eye. And then on the podcast, loads of sports people and other business people and artists and creatives. And this kind of new world way of obsessing over the tiniest detail mm. and then going on social media and then deriding someone until their name is trending and then other people diving in and delighting themselves about the fact that this person is sort of being publicly criticised. I just hated it. And although I wasn't doing that on the television, I still had to have conversations about, should that manager be sacked? Should that player be dropped? Should that referee be refereeing next week? And then in the back of my head, there's this voice going, well, you spend all week on your podcast talking about empathy and understanding yeah, and leaning yeah. into people. Like, how do you know whether that footballer isn't suffering with a mental health challenge? Well, um, has, an, has an ill child, has a, an ill parent, has something they're struggling with. And, and the more that I lived a life where I was required to have an opinion, the more odds it felt with my mm. new way of thinking, which is to lean against empathy. And do you and think so then, do you think those of us who love sport, and I do love sport, have just got nastier? I'm thinking of Owen Farrell, for example, who just. Yeah. I mean, that's an astonishing thing. I mean, I can't. The idea that in my childhood, some of the great rugby legends of the 70s would have said or would have been forced to say in public that they're taking time out because of the treatment they've had and for the sake of their own mental mm. health. I mean, it just, it would be quite extraordinary. It would. And it, partly this is driven by technology, right? I mean, I, I remember talking, do you know Eddie Hearn, the boxing promoter? Yes, You've no yeah. doubt chatted to him over the years. I remember him coming on and saying that when his dad did a boxing fight, you know, a huge night of boxing, months of work, loads of effort, he'd finish, go to the bar with his mates and say, what a great night of work. Eddie immediately has all this criticism coming his way on social media. Everyone has an opinion about what he said, what he's done. And he said, no matter how good it is, I feel it was awful because the negative comments stick, right? So partly this is driven by technology. You know, every single person in the public eye, okay, their phone number isn't public, but what's the difference? Like no one can WhatsApp me but anyone can send me a message on Twitter or a message on Instagram and I see them like you just do as much as you like to publicly go, oh, I don't look at those things. You see them, they get through and they hit you. And this is where we really have to distinguish, right? Because I, I put up a post about the whole Owen Farrell situation and the replies were, well, he's, he's either, either he has to take, be able to take criticism or he should have been better as a player. All right. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, hold up. he, Owen Farrell is not someone that can't take criticism, right? You don't get to the top of international sport unable to take criticism. He will take 
criticism every single day from teammates, from managers, from coaches, right? He will sit and watch a video to improve. What he doesn't get from those people is insults and aggression and anger. And let's just, you know, let's be totally honest. Once someone who is, he has to be incredibly strong mentally and physically to do what he does. For him to have to take a break shows the depth of the anger that is rolling around in society, caused by all kinds of other reasons as well, right? Including politics and the way that news programs carry sort of constant negative messaging in the way that we all love to have a pop at each other. Like we're, I honestly feel that we are spinning around Jane in this like world of anger. And because it's so normalized now, it, it's just, it's everywhere. And that's why I'm kind of using high performance and using the book and stuff to try and take a stand really against this, this feeling that being horrible is okay because it's normal and everyone does it. Well, how about let's say it isn't okay. Yeah, I've um I was listening to uh, the Stephen Gerrard high performance episode right. where you talk about that incident during that game mm. against Chelsea back in 2014. I um, mean, in case anybody doesn't know, that was when a very uncharacteristically Stephen Gerrard just fell over. He slipped and he gave the ball to Chelsea and they scored in a really important game. And he, I mean, it was so obvious that Stephen Gerrard, despite his best efforts, is still tortured by that. Yeah, exactly. And there was a moment, wasn't there, where we said, if that hadn't happened, would you have gone into management? And he kind of ummed and erred for a minute and went, mm. perhaps not. And he will carry that the rest of his life. And I think that we don't, see, you know, like when people accuse footballers of not caring, I'm like, or anyone in any walk of life, are you serious? That's their job. Like, you can't get to the top of any profession unless you really care, unless you make sacrifice, unless you dedicate yourself. Now, OK, they're not perfect and they might have off days and they might be struggling with things that we don't know about. But human beings like, you know, I always have this sort of feeling in my head when I'm having a bit of a tough period that, you know, we're all a bit like a flower, right? You can't bloom all the time. Life is not a constant upward curve. Yet we expect people in the public eye to always say the right thing, always do the right thing. This this. This thing about politicians making U-turns, fantastic. I want my politicians to make U-turns because it means my politicians are learning and growing and have fresh information. We had Professor Brian Cox on High Performance who said to us, think like a scientist, be proved wrong. Like, let's live a life where, you know, I think our spectrum of knowledge is way smaller than we think it is. But social media, and I do it myself, makes us feel like we should have an opinion about everything. Even today I saw something and I thought, oh, I'm going to have an opinion about that. And then I stopped and thought, I think the last thing the world needs is another opinion, particularly my opinion well, about something that I don't know about, right? Yeah, I mean, that's I was so tortured by that that I just I just stopped social media because, I, like you, I was thinking, oh, I better I better express a view on this. It's well, absolutely why, vital. Why, what, yeah, psychologically, well, what's that about? What is that about? God knows. I honestly don't know, and I feel better for getting it out of my life, frankly. Uh, we are talking to, I am talking, but Fee is listening intently and hopefully learning something from Jake Humphrey, uh, the co-host of the High Performance Podcast and also the co-author of a book called How to Change Your Life. Uh, he's in the company of Damon Hughes when it comes to the new book, which is out now. Uh, but I guess the podcast High Performance is what he's best known for right now. And when you hear that podcast title, there is a kind of uh, machismo about it that you might find a bit off-putting. But uh, in all honesty, the podcast is like that. Uh, Jake is full of empathy and he really listens when his guests outline what they've been through and the challenges they've faced. But he does acknowledge that title perhaps isn't perfect. With the title of high performance because of because of the kind of connotations that it, that it brings. But I think that almost 
the fact that it gets people talking is enough for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what is that about? I better have a listen. So really, let me just first of all say that for any any of your listeners, like high performance is your own version of high performance, right? And also that changes every single day, which is why this idea of consistency really sort of um, grates with me quite quite a lot. High performance sometimes for me looks really bloody good, like I'm flying. Other times, high performance is can I just get out of bed today, get my kids to school? And I rang my Har- my wife Harriet on the way to doing some recordings the other day. I said, I just feel like crying and it's t- totally weird. I feel like this anxiety is overwhelming me. I don't know what's going on. But that's why we have these conversations, because high performance is about finding your own happiness high performance is about finding your version of what excellent looks like and actually one of the real key differentiators between the people that we have on the podcast and and other people is this ability to deal with the setbacks to deal with the knockbacks this idea of making sure that you're resilient and i don't think there's anyone we've spoken to that hasn't just pushed forwards you know gordon ramsay growing up in a really challenging Mm. difficult household with a hard relationship with his father um dame kelly holmes you know suffering with mental health challenges and self-harming on her way to being a double Olympic champion, Tom Daly losing his dad at a young age. Um, we interviewed, I don't know whether you've ever spoken to her, but the most incredible lady, Dame Stephanie Shirley. Oh, I have. On the yeah. Transport. Incredible. So you'll know yeah. the story, you know, refugee escaping the Nazis came to the UK, um, set up a tech business. But she said to us that there's, there's this idea that there's an immigrant mindset, right? Where, you have such a fire inside you from the challenges that you've had to deal with early in your life that it equips you for the stuff ahead of you, which is why almost half of the biggest businesses in the United States are first or second generation immigrant owned because it, it lights something up inside Mm. you. And she was fantastic talking about that. And um, I remember Gordon Ramsay, his final message, what is high performance? He said, I've been through so much expletive in my life. I've learned to dance in the storm. And when someone says to me, be careful, it's stormy out there, I, expletive, love it. Um, And I think that's really what high performance is. You know, it is doing the best you can where you are with what you've got, but also realising that the tough days are going to come. And, you know, we're talking early 2024, and I'm hoping I have a better year, but I might not. And the challenge is, can you deal with what's in front of you? Let's let's see, because it will come at some point. Can we talk about um, Lindsay and Rob Burrow? <clears throat> because... Um, <clears throat> I've I've followed the story of Rob Burrow, a absolutely brilliant rugby league player, diagnosed with motor neurone disease, and and Lindsay is well, she was a physiotherapist, wasn't she, in in the sport herself, right. um, yeah. um, married to Rob and a brilliant support to him, but someone who she's in a way, she's fighting her own battle as his carer. It's an incredible and a very important story. Yeah, and it was actually a really emotional conversation with Lindsay on on the on the podcast and. I think one of the things I really love about this new book, right, is that she sits alongside Tyson Fury in yeah. the book. Now, how many other books are there out there at the moment that put Lindsay Burrow next to Tyson Fury there are none. to try and <laughs> explain what high performance is? And really, I think, you know, Lindsay hit the nail on the head when we spoke to her and her explanation of high performance is just finding the joy in the small things. You know, there is so much heartbreak and so much pain and so much sadness in their world at the moment. And, you know, they and, and we know the outcome of that, right? So it has to become about the tiny little magic things. And we interviewed, not dissimilar, actually, a man called um, David Smith, amazing former athlete who developed cancer, had an operation, was paralyzed, but then came back to compete as a, as a Paralympian. And he, I mean, his story is so amazing that he's just developed this idea of loving everything. Like to him, there is no such thing as a grim weather day because you're alive and it's raining. And that in itself is a miracle. 
it's it's not getting bogged down by the small, tiny little things that actually, when you add them all up, they really can just eat away at us. If we could spend 2024 not allowing those little things to, to get to us, I think we'll be in a fantastic place. And then we've realized that there's so much great stuff. And I know it sounds corny and I know it sounds cliched, but I promise you, if your listeners just every day wrote down three things they're grateful for, right, at the start of each day, the highest achieving people we've ever had on high performance do this. You know, top elite performers in whatever field do this every day. Um, it puts your brain in a place where you're naturally looking for acceptance and happiness and did, gratitude. Did you do that today? Up. Can I ask? Uh, I have done it today. Would you like to know the three things that I was grateful for? Yes, please. Okay, so we had a we had a team meal last night uh, for the high performance team, and only. Two years ago, it was three people and it's now 20 people working on that podcast. So the first thing that I wrote was, I'm really grateful for having a really amazing team of people around me. Um, I then stayed over in London because I was doing a couple of interviews about the new book. And I wrote down, I'm really grateful people actually want to talk to me about this book. Um, And the final one, I came home and I went to a a school concert with Florence, our eldest, singing um, and doing a reading at the beginning. And I just I just wrote, I'm so grateful to come home to a happy family and like they are things that everyone has right um people that want to talk to them a family of some description mm. and some colleagues if you could be grateful for those simple little things then to be quite honest you don't need to win the lottery to be happy because you realize how much you've already got and does this come jake from a, a spiritual place or is this a religious awakening you're having here what, what's going on I, I think i've always felt like this so I had a real tough time at school and failed my exams and my mum and dad had a friend visiting and she sort of felt that she had special powers, right? Um, whatever we deem that to be. And she said, this is going to be the best thing that ever happens to you. And this is the day after my A-level failure. My mum was a teacher at the school. My parents were very heavy into academia. Yeah, that actually is is deeply embarrassing. You're very exposed in that position, aren't you? Oh, honestly, it was like, I felt like the sort of family fool, you know, like my brother was super bright. My sister had gone off to university and I was this idiot who was having to go back to school again. And she said, oh, this would be the best thing that ever happens to you. And obviously we all scoffed at that. But she also gave me a book by a lady called Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And it was an absolute eye opener for me that I think until that point, I'd kind of, I had feared anything that was fearful of I was avoiding, right? And then it was like, well, just because something's scary doesn't mean it is to be avoided. And so from that moment onwards, life came about not looking for someone else to have done something for me to realize that I can do it too. It almost became a challenge of like, I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do and see whether other people can follow, which is why I often when I'm chatting to groups of young people who want to work in the media, I'm like, I really want you to sort of recognize that this story can be your story. Like I have no special abilities and actually the Apart from the elite sports people with a natural talent, most people who are on our podcast don't have any natural ability. They've just found ways to to be successful, often from very difficult starts. So then I was like, well, I'm just going to see whether I, I started doing some work experience in telly not long after that. I would never have done that before. I wouldn't have even gone to meet them. And then I asked them whether I could do some presenting. Well, I certainly wouldn't have been brave enough to do that at school. I was in no plays. I wasn't standout. I was totally Mr. Normal. I was the grey man at school. You'd never have spotted me. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go to London and chance my arm at this. Ended up on kids telly and then had the sort of balls to apply for the Formula One job as a kids presenter. Well, no one does that. And I got yeah, it. You did. And then I, yeah. Well, exactly. Then walked away from the BBC with a four year contract offer to stay to go and work at BT Sport. Well, nobody does that. And all of this came from that book. Feel the fear 
and do it anyway. And I thought that I was the scared one and no one else was scared, right? Everyone's scared. It's about going and making those decisions. And and then I, you know, I know we've we've spoken on a few occasions previously. I feel like only now at 45 am I comfortable enough to be my authentic self and talk like this. And I probably hid for too long behind a nice TV smile and a comfy TV job. And I was like, well, if I'm on the telly and someone's giving me a contract to talk about sport, that's enough. But like without sounding I don't want to sound like an egotistical maniac here, but I sort of, I like the idea that this book and the previous book and these podcast conversations are there for my kids or even my grandkids. I think there's such value in leaning into other people and just saying, what have you learned? Because I feel we're all relearning what people already know. And we can just learn by asking questions of others. Jay Comfrey and his book, How to Change Your Life, is out now. Now, one, in one way or another, this podcast has been impacted by wind. Um, there's wind in the studio uh, <laughs> and there's also high winds outside the building. No, but that's the problem. There's no wind in the studio because we're both holding it in it's because trapped. we're proper ladies. <laughs> but it is just making our stomachs go a little bit crazy. I hope it's not, I hope it's not a sign. How much worse could 2024 be than 2023? Oh, gosh. I always think it's slightly dangerous to say that, actually. Right, well, let's not say it then. <laughs> All right, because... everybody. No, because, you you know, let's just... No, let's not. Let's keep high hopes. Uh, can I just end on this one? Because I think we need to send out some love uh, to one of our correspondents who will remain anonymous, uh, who says, you make me laugh and think. Uh, I've had a really rough few months since my partner of 18 years ended our relationship. And I'm going to be returning to my house early in 2024. It's been harder because my partner's role is a public one and we live in a small town. So it really feels as if everybody knows. Uh, you go on to say some very nice things about listening to the podcast and I'm glad that we can keep your spirits up. Uh, but also I think both Jane and I would want to say uh, that is going to be tough mm. and uh, people will do the curtain twitching and all of that kind of jazz. But I think always with things like that, it's what happens next that obviously defines your life. So let them have a bit of a gossip. Yeah. Let them all They'll get over it. Spread it around. Uh, that's just what people do. And uh, I really, really wish you well because 18 years is a very long time to be with somebody. And I hope that brighter times lie ahead for you. Uh, as Jane said right at the beginning of this podcast in what is almost a professional attempt at broadcasting. Go on. Uh, the podcast is all about our real life experiences and uh, I think when people told me after the end of long relationships that there were brighter times ahead, I thought, oh, for goodness sake, that's just a saccharine load of nonsense. Mm. That's just what people say. It kind of pings off you. But it's true. Isn't it? There you go. Take it. Yeah. So we wish you well. But it's still going to be hard. And yeah. I, I, I just I don't want to say, oh, it'll be fine. You'll no. be fine in February. And, and it will be horrible. Yeah. And people will talk and they'll stop talking when you enter a room. And there'll mm. be some people who just want to know way too much detail. And you wonder why, really. Uh, and and everything will seem very strange. And you'll feel like you're being over-scrutinised. And then they just will pass on to somebody else. And you get to choose what you do with your life now. So mm. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, have a. Um, I was going to say have a happy new year, but that's too glib. But I mean, you. I think you probably going back to the house will be strange. I absolutely get that, and particularly if the former partner is someone that other people will know. Yeah, it's not the easiest set of circumstances. No, it's not. It's um, not. But yes, there will absolutely. You and you. You'll we'll find out who your true friends are, and actually, that's a good lesson to learn in life as well. 
because you'll want to keep them around. Trust me. Right. Have a jolly evening. We've no idea. We don't know how we're going to leave, do we? No, we're not leaving. We've got to go out of the side entrance. I I don't even know. Where where is the side entrance? I thought my suggestion of spending the night here together was a good one, but you completely brushed it aside. Do you think we're going to be able to go out of Piers Morgan's special entrance? (laughs) My God. Right. That's it. This podcast has ended. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mm-hmm.